from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. It began reminding me of George Eliot mixed with the woodshop safety film. It sounds like the judging is part of the performance, too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Stephen Tobolowsky, he was such a, a master. It takes a lot of courage, and it, it's, it's a bold sort of sport that we play in. And so I'm, I'm terrified. I'm Jeremy Goodwin. Thursday at the High Low in Midtown St. Louis, four writers will compete in a death match. It's a literary death match. It's a fun, sometimes funny, sometimes rowdy competition uh, that founder Adrian Todzinica uh, has brought to dozens of cities on hundreds of occasions. And Adrian is a St. Louis native who's back in town for this week's event. Uh, here to talk about it are Adrian and writer Deborah Jackson Toffa. She teaches creative writing at Webster University has a memoir coming out next year with HarperCollins, and Deborah is brave enough to enter the competition on Thursday. Adrian and Deborah, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, of course. Thanks, thanks for having us. Yeah. Just, where did this idea come from? How did you decide you needed to create a new kind of literary reading? Yeah, about uh, 16 years ago. Not even about. It was 16 years ago. Um, I was living in New York, and I would go to tons of readings. I love readings. But also, me and a group of friends got together and were like, how do we make sure every reading is amazing? Because sometimes readings can be boring. And so we were like, okay, the first thing is we put a time limit. That way, nobody says they're going to read for seven minutes and reads for 20. And so the audience can kind of relax. They know somebody's only going to go a certain amount of time. Uh, The second thing was we wanted to bring in kind of celebrities. Moby, the musician, judged our first ever literary death match, oh. which is a totally weird thing. But the idea was that if you bring in uh, musicians, actors, comedians, chefs, ballerinas to judge, people are like, well, wh- what business do they have judging literature? And that seems fun to me. Uh, and then the third uh, big thing was we didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. So we, we decided to end it with a literary game. Um, so the whole show ends uh, with the two finalists competing in uh, a game like Pin the Mustache on Hemingway or something, just <laughs> kind of a literary spelling bee with complicated author names. Just some, like, fun, absurd. That way nobody nobody is, like, losing based on the merits of the writing because we pick four amazing people. So, yeah. yeah. Deborah, have you participated in your share of, of readings over the years? Yes, I have. And I actually have seen a literary death match in Iowa uh-huh. City where I got my MFA and a friend of mine named Sandra Allen, uh, Adrian came out. I think we had it at, was it at the mill? I think it was, it was at the, the mill. It was at yeah. the mill, which is like a dark little bar where everybody could get drinks. And uh, uh, Sandra competed against one of my thesis advisors, Robin Hemley. Hmm. And they both read something humorous and fun. And it was it was just, it was incredible. Everybody had such a great time. So when Adrian contacted me, I have done a ton of readings, you know, across the country. Even in France, I've given a reading. And this was just such a unique opportunity. So he contacted me like two days ago. <laughs> <laughs> Roughly, yeah. A couple more than two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe yeah, a few was, more than two. Maybe six. Yeah, it was like in July. and then he, um, But he had something going on at the film festival, and he wasn't sure when they were going to schedule it. So the date was up in the air. And then very last minute in October, he said, can we pull this off? And I happen to be right now um, a fellow for the uh, Kranzberg Arts mm-hmm. Center. And I had a meeting with them the next day after I got the email from Adrian. 
So when I went in, I told Chris, Chris Hansen, I said, what do you think? And he was like, let's switch. I was just going to do a reading. And so at the last minute, we swapped out to the literary death match. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, now she gets to compete for, I mean, to, if you win literary death match, you, you win two things. You get a, a medal that costs seven seven dollars uh it's engraved with st louis episode one on it and you also win literary immortality so the the stakes oh. really could not be yeah. higher uh which is fun <laughs> Dara, how do you prepare for this event well i'm lucky that i you know i finished my book that i've been working on for a good seven eight years and it is a book that's filled with sort of dark humor mm. kind of has you know there's violence there's manslaughter there's a lot of things that happen when you grow up on a native american reservation like i did this is your memoir but yes but it's called whiskey tender i hope the title whiskey tender kind of alludes to the mood you know what i mean mm. there's a, there's a, it's a love story it's a family love story but at the same time when you're asking readers to do that kind of heavy lifting you do want to infuse it with some sort of levity and humor. So um, it was fairly easy for me to kind of pick out a section that, um, and I always aim to go a little under in time. I say leave them wanting a little more than kind of being that person that mm -hmm. goes over. And I was really egged on by the other authors that Adrian and I chose because I admire them all a great deal. Yeah. Adrian, when people walk in, what does it look like? What's the scene like? Uh, it's low-lit, sexy. I'm, I'm going to be in a tuxedo that is a glittering blue. Uh, I'm sort of known for the suits I wear around the world when I do the show. Uh, and I picked this one out because I'm a huge blues fan. So I was like, this is the right okay. one. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Thematically appropriate yeah, clothing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and they're just going to be around uh, some wonderful people. Our, our audience is always smart, interesting, weird. Um, so yeah, just, uh, once the show starts, I am going to come out like a house on fire and just set the tone and show that it's, it's a competitive show, but we're there to have fun. I, I'm still between a Mark Twain or a Maya Angelou opening. Um, e either way, I'm going to be talking about both those amazing writers, but I, it, it's pretty great. Like T.S. Eliot, a great St. Louis writer. Yes. He was afraid of cows. You know, Maya Angelou, um, she has an extraordinary I'm sorry, wait, history. T.S. Oh, yeah, Eliot was afraid of cows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did that affect his life deeply? I don't think so. But Is that why he moved to England? <laughs> it must have been. From St. Louis? Yeah, he was too many cats. Well, like, I know all these things about literary figures throughout the years. That's one of my... My things that I just love is researching them, finding out about them. Um, so when I found out that little tidbit, I, that's, that's a home run. And I don't know what it means. Uh, Sylvia Plath never wrote in cursive. I don't know what that means, but I love that I, love that I know it. And well, I, yeah. I hear they do have some cows over there, too. So yeah, if yeah. that was the strategy, <laughs> it wouldn't have been a good one. Totally. Oh, I was going to say William Faulkner wrote on his walls. <laughs> yeah. I've heard for his spatial awareness of the story. Oh, that's interesting. He also um, was the first uh, postmaster to ever be on a stamp. He was both, he worked at the post office where he basically hated anybody that came in the post office because he just wanted to work on his writing. So he was always annoyed with people and he would get yelled at and then eventually fired. But he, you know, now he's on a stamp. So that's how to this do it. This is Faulkner? Yeah. This is a Faulkner stamp? Yeah, yeah. Well, th this makes you think we're talking about these big names. We're talking about Maya Angelou, T.S. Eliot, um, it's like this edifice of this 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 name and this great work that we admire, but details like that bring it down to the personal level and and maybe make it make the work feel a little more approachable. And it strikes me that maybe that's part of what's happening in literary death march. Either yeah yeah for sure. I mean I remember when I used to at the very beginning when I did the show, people would uh, come in. I would do jokes about Ernest Hemingway or F. Scott Fitzgerald or um, those that level of celebrity writer in in the consciousness and. 
Um, and that was a big point because I, I was like, I could tell jokes about Amelia Gray, who's an incredible author, um, which I now do more so. But at the time, I was just trying to make it accessible. So any, any writer I was mentioning, you would know. Um, and now I've definitely expanded that catalog. But, you know, Margaret Atwood uh, is one of my go-tos. And just knowing, trying to feed in contemporary authors and kind of use that is, uh, is important because effectively the show's 16 years old. I've grown as a as a writer and a creative and a and a host and uh, and I also am like trying to infuse more people into my monologues or my comments that sort of show the expanse of it. I think, you know, I've kind of grown out of just you know the F. Scott Fitzgerald and assuming my stuff. But uh, yeah, it's interesting because I I just want people, effectively, people in the audience to 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 be taken in by those facts and be like, oh, I know that writer. That's interesting. And then see the authors that are reading and be like, oh, that's what literature is today. Like mm. that evolution of um, of just seeing these people on stage. Because I think sometimes with literature, we, we go into a bookstore. Sometimes we're just like, oh, I'm just going to buy the best book ever. We buy it. We go home. We read two pages of Ulysses. And we're like, I think I'm going to watch TV. But with Literary Deathmatch, you're seeing, you're going to see four incredible writers that are, you're just going to be like, oh, that's that's my life. That's being reflected. Like, I want to read that. So, yeah, I've talked too long. We're we're, we're gonna we're gonna listen to some some of this in the past in in just a minute, and I'm really looking forward to that. But first, we, we do have to take a quick break. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Welcome back to St. Louis on the Air. To get a sense of just what this is like, um, why don't we listen to a little bit of a past event? Uh, this is the end of Kristen Newman. She's competing, uh, and this is the end of a story she's telling about a rather debauched trip she took to Amsterdam with a group of friends. And, and right after she finishes, we, we hear Adrian take over the mic. The goodwill from the drugs that had opened my mind and heart to all of humanity made me tolerant and peaceful when Mike asked stupid questions. Hope's head was on her boyfriend's shoulder, all forgiven. In two years, they would be married, and in five, they would be divorced. In two months, I would start dating my friend Trevor, whose heart, who, who would help me get over my first heartbreak, and whose heart I would break two years later when I realized at 30 that I desperately needed to be single for the first time in my life. But in that moment, the sun was shining, and we were four friends traveling by train through Holland in the spring. I hadn't had my international sex survey, and I hadn't kissed a girl, and I liked it. Kristen Newman, ladies and gentlemen. Eight minutes and 41 seconds. Amazing. And now we're going to go back to our judges. We're going to start with Diablo Cody, who's going to speak to Chris L. Terry's literary merit. Chris, I enjoyed that very much. And I have to say, I felt like it was my birthday. Adrian, what kind of material works well in this format? Uh, The keys of the castle are this. If you start funny and then sad, great. If you start sad and then funny, great. Um, if you're funny, that also works really well. And I actually love when people take the the risk of reading serious work. 
Um, we've had one time uh, in San Francisco, somebody read a devastating story. I won't get into what the story is, but it was devastating. And uh, the literary marriage judge wasn't sure how to react because it was just such a moving, brilliant story. It was just like, oh, my God, I really loved it. Handed the mic to performance judge. Wow, that was amazing. Handed the mic to our intangibles judge, which was W. Kamau Bell. And Kamau just grabbed the mic. He sat back, crossed his legs, and he said, well, I thought that was hilarious. And then it sort of broke the tension in the audience. Um, so, uh, yeah, pretty much everything works. Um, but, yeah, anything that dazzles the crowd that represents the writer, I think, is definitely the way to go. Deborah, can you tip your hand at all about what you have planned? I went for something that has imagery and drama. Um, I can just say kind of in a nutshell that when my parents were married on the day of their wedding, my father crashed their car into the side of a dive bar. (laughs) And they were fine. It was like a fender bender, but it's a very visual scene. And it also shows kind of the dynamic between my parents. Hmm. And it, and not only that, I think it also is emblematic of the memoir because it talks about how f- forever in my life with them, they talked about that as being kind of the, a very happy moment. Like they were able to twist struggles and um, challenges in their life into something that had sort of an optimistic bent. And uh, I have really fueled myself on that. I mean, my parents, neither of them finished high school, they went and got their GEDs. And now they, you know, my kids, three of them went to Yale. One is at Yale Law. So it's a story, you know, the the book that I wrote is about the American dream Mm. and um, about loving America, even while we're challenged by America. And I I hope that that story kind of has that complexity. It's not very long, but there's a lot packed in. And who are the other writers who were involved? Uh, Ron, Ronnie Austin's going to be reading against uh, Gabe Montesanti yes. in the first round, and then Deborah's going up against Angela Hamilton. Um, Ron's an award winner. Yes. Uh, Gabe's a roller derby uh, a player, I guess right. is the word. Yeah. Competitor. Uh, competitor. Um, and Angela. Enthusiast. Enthusiast, perhaps. yeah. And Angela's an essayist, and uh, she's a teacher as well. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, Bet365. I checked the odds, and everybody is exactly even. So okay. that's pretty amazing. <laughs> a so. lot of action in the sports book on this, right? <laughs> exactly. I've read Ron Austin's book, Avery Colt. It's um, set in North, North City or mm-hmm. North County. Mm-hmm. And uh, he has like a lyric power that is really it's striking. I don't know how it translates to like spoken word. Because that's the thing, you read and you don't always, you hear poetry out loud, but you don't always hear prose out loud. And that's what's exciting about this event is everyone will be reading prose and you, you typically see this sort of thing like in a poetry bout, not yeah. a prose bout. And it sounds like the, the judging is a, is a big piece of this too, right? I don't know if the competition itself is that cutthroat, but, but the judges have a big presence. Yeah, what, yeah. What do they do here? So yeah, the literary merit judge for this one, it's Dr. Um, I'm just blank. Our Treasure Shields Redmond, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, our performance judge is an actor named Elijah Davis. Our uh, intangibles judge is the comedian named Max Price, who won the 2021 Funniest Person in St. Louis Award. So yeah, basically, like they're going to hear these readers, and then we're going to hand them the mic. They're going to talk about the first reader and the second reader, and. You know, they're just going to talk about where their brain goes over the course of the reading. It usually gets increasingly funny and weird. That's why we have the the three categories. That's sort of the angle of the show. Um, And we've had so many amazing judges in the past uh, that have said incredible things. One time we had Nicole Byer, who's on the uh, Netflix show Nailed It, uh, is one of her things. And she compared everybody to a Whoopi Goldberg movie. Um, So it's just really fun, like, 
just pulling this stuff out and uh, and just going at it from that perspective and just where these these judges go it just adds so much hilarity and like fun and a sense of yeah. of it yeah it's great well but to get a sense of of what the judges do on a night like this um, we can actually listen to a little bit of a response to that Kristen Newman performance we heard a little earlier uh, so this is just a bit of of author and actor Stephen Tobolowski and he's judging her in the category of intangibles. I thought it was interesting because it was sly disguised as sexy, which, which I really loved. And you made it seem like a slice of life, but it really was like juggling chainsaws. All the imagery. Um, it began reminding me of George Eliot mixed with a woodshop safety film. <laughs> As, as a safety note, don't race armadillos because armadillos carry leprosy. I can't verify that scientific claim. I think it was a non sequitur. But it sounds like the judging is part of the performance, too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Stephen Tobolowsky, he was such a, a master. If, if you don't know who he is, if you saw him, you would. He's Needlehead Ned Ryerson from Groundhog Day. And um, he actually did something so amazing. One of the readers in that read something so beautiful about their mother or their grandmother in dementia. And so he was being that funny the whole time. But when it got to that last reader, he just talked about how heartbreaking and beautiful it was. And, like, everybody could feel that. And it's just... It's kind of a wonderful thing in that way. The judges are there to be funny, to add levity, but at the same time, like when they get hit by something, they're just like, wow, you know, and that's that's a really profound moment a lot of times. And that idea, Deborah, of the mix of poignancy and joy and sadness and melancholy, uh, that's a space you work in sometimes. Yeah, that's life. I mean, well, I feel like, yeah, yeah. yeah, you know, it's the, the challenge when you're writing is to work in a two-dimensional medium that jumps off the page and moves people. You know, I, I call art like this visual, um, it's like a, a visceral receipt on the part of the reader that they become moved by what you have shared. And that takes a lot of courage and it, it's it's a bold sort of sport that we play in. And so I'm I'm terrified for, <laughs> for tomorrow <laughs> to come away with some black eyes. But I'm so appreciative of Adrian. I was telling him in the green room, he's such a great literary citizen. I mean, to really bring so many writers together across the country, even internationally, I'm trying to convince him to come out to Santa Fe, where I live part of the year, because I'm directing the MFA CW program at IAIA, which is the Institute of American Indian Arts, and also the birthplace of writers like Tommy Orange and Therese... Um, Trees Millar, um, and you know, I just see his work. I've seen it for so long, and I'm thrilled to be a part of this. Yeah. Well, Deborah, when when your memoir comes out, let us know. We want to we want to talk more about oh, that. Fun. Okay. Thanks for joining us today. <laughs> Thank you for having us. This episode was produced by Danny Wisentowski and Emily Woodbury. Audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dore. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. 
Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.